It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.05, 69 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. Every Saturday morning, I come to the studio at 6 a.m. We have three hours of garden questions and answers while you wait right here for you. If you have a garden question of any kind, simple, complex, weird, it doesn't matter. We entertain it here, we being Ashley Frasca, who screens our calls. Jason Byers, who makes sure that we stay on the air, which is very important. Robin Walensky, of course, who keeps us updated on the news. And I have a few answers in my head that I've found over the years that might be of use to you. 404-872-0750. First in line goes Stephen in Dunwoody. Hey, Stephen. Good morning. How are you doing today, sir? You're doing all right, Stephen. What's got, what do you see or don't see? Um, I have got many cucumber plants, and they're just full of blooms. Yep. But I'm not getting any fruit. Yep. One, Any idea? It's something they buy at a hive of bees. One of my habits is I have permission from all of my neighbors to wander in their yards. And one of my neighbors has a cucumber vine. And, Stephen, for the last easily 10 days, I have been uh-huh. looking at that cucumber vine every day to see when it will finally produce female flowers. Because right now, and for 10 days now, it has been producing male flowers, which is the common thing for cucumbers to do. The first flowers on a cucumber vine, and for that matter, squash, melon, you know, cantaloupes, are the male flowers, which can't make a cucumber or a cantaloupe or anything like that. So if you go out and look at your vine, I'll bet you that you'll see that all those little yellow flowers are simply little yellow flowers with a little tiny stem behind it and connects that to the main vine. But when you start seeing a yellow flower with a little cucumber behind it, a little pickle, then you think, man, now we're going to have some cucumbers on my vine. It'll happen eventually, I promise. Well, my problem is all my plants are dying. Oh, now that's a problem. Um, I planted them back the 1st of May, um, and they are kind of bloomed out, and they're all starting to die out. Uh, they, yeah. Are they not producing any flowers yet? Still? No, they're producing but, all sorts of flowers. But they're just not making it with cucumbers yet. Yeah. Well, if the, but is the vine healthy or not? That's what yeah, I'm wondering. Yeah, the, vine the vines have been extremely healthy. Oh, if the vine stays healthy, it will eventually make female flowers. Okay, well, mine aren't wants, making it. <laughs> well, not yet. Off. Well, like I say, the one that I'm looking and observing every day for 10 days, I keep thinking one day soon... The female flower will appear, but they have not yet, but they will. Cucumbers want to make babies. They want to make seeds. They want to procreate themselves. That's the purpose of a plant. After all, they just haven't gotten around to doing it yet for you, Stephen, or for me well, either. I've replanted some this 4th of July. I planted three more plants because, um, I had, like I said, I had two or three that were just com- almost completely gone. Yeah. And I've still got one or two that are not looking good. I'm debating about getting a few more cucumber plants. Go, go right ahead, but still at all, all of them will have the male flowers first. Look, look at the flowers and learn how to identify which is which and uh, see the males come on first and the females after that. And I've also, I've got something to eat my tomato plants and my green bean plants. What can I put on them? Mm, the, the most common insecticide, in, organic insecticide, of course, is insecticidal soap. 
but you need to know what it is because sometimes soap is not the right right control for some things like caterpillars, for instance. You or, or I can't see what's eating them. What does the what does the damage look like on the leaves? Um, basically, chewing them up, and there's nothing there but the stem. Mm, and nothing there but the stem would be a tomato hornworm. That okay, is yeah. caterpillar. Are they that small or something? They're that camouflaged. If you actually was just looking online just a minute ago and said, oh, look at that one. He's all green and had wasp cocoons on it. Go to my WalterReeves.com website and just type in hornworm, and you'll see what a green tomato hornworm looks like. That's exactly the symptom, though, is okay. eats most of the leaf, nothing left with the stem. But on the cucumber, they are kind of self-pollinating once they get female yeah sure they would self-pollinate very easily they have perfect not perfect flowers but they get pretty easily visited by pollinating insects who take the pollen from the male to the female flower yeah, yeah. okay well, i right. do appreciate your time good luck with it Stephen. thanks for calling thank you uh-huh. scott Bye. is in peachtree corner scott is and scott joins us on lawn and garden hey hey scott good morning hey good morning walter thank you I call. Sure. Uh, my wife and I got a little overly ambitious in our front yard. She loves flowers. So yeah. we got a bunch of those hydrangeas that grow in the sun with the big white conical flowers. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In with butterfly bushes, uh, three butterfly bushes among five of those hydrangeas. And then we had some peonies in between that are getting choked out by everything. Um, I'd like to see what I can do to thin that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking to see how I can move some of those items. And then when's the best time to do that move? They would sure appreciate it, Scott, if you waited until October or November to do it when there's not the demand for moisture that there is now. Even though it's raining in several afternoons in the last week mm-hmm. or two, it's still pretty stressful on particularly the hydrangea to be moved now when they have broad leaves, a lot of moisture coming off of those leaves, and the roots that will be damaged as you move it around are not going to be there anymore. And so I think you'd be much better off to have survivability if you waited till October, November. That's when I would do it. Okay. And then as far as, tra- I've never transplanted something of this size before. Yeah. These are, these are getting pretty large. Um, any tips on how to dig them out and not damage the plant when moving it the, and, or especially the pe- the peony as well. That's a bulb, I believe. It's sort of um, a big thick root. Wait, wait for October, November like. for all those as yeah, well. Sure. 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 But you know what I, my trick for doing it easily for the, plant is I take a hose and the day before I'm going to do the move, I really soak the soil around the plant, make it just soggy, just mash it with your heel Uh and your fingers, it's really soggy soil. And sometimes if you are very careful at sort of lifting and moving and lifting and moving, if you have a spading fork that helps a little bit, you can pull the whole plant, roots and all, out of that soggy soil. And even though it's bare root and doesn't have much dirt around the roots, they still transplant so much better with more roots than they do with more soil. So try to get as many roots as you can when you do the transplant this fall. Oh, gosh. Well, Walter, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time and answers. Yeah, have fun with it, Scott. Listen to you regularly and just love the advice I hear on this show. I'm glad it's helpful. Thanks for calling, Scott. All right, sir. Bye-bye. Dave is in Oxford, Georgia, over in Covington. Hey, Dave, good morning. Good morning. So you want to buy a watermelon, get a ripe one, right? Well, no. Uh, I was just talking to a farmer from North Georgia. He said he drew about grew about twenty, thirty acres of jubilees. Yeah. 
And he swore up and down that you have this technique where you take a straw and you put it on the watermelon. If it turns 90 degrees, it's ripe. And it's, that's just the way to do it. And there's no other way to do it. I was talking to a farmer from Tipton County, and she yeah. says, well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So I just wanted to get your take off on it. Well, a farmer, it was somebody who's growing watermelons on the vine, could tell pretty easily when they're ripe because... If you look on the main watermelon vine, you've got a melon on the ground, four or five melons probably on the ground, right across the vine, right across the vine where the watermelon is attached with a little short stem, there's a little tendril. You know yeah. what a tendril is, because it's like yeah. a pig's, pig's tail. And that yeah. little tendril will change color. As the tendril changes from a sort of white to a green to a yellow, the watermelon is becoming riper and riper and riper. So the closer to yellow that you can get the tendril, the closer to dead ripe the watermelon will be. If you flip it over, the belly of the watermelon will also turn color. It'll turn from white to green to yellow. And the right. yellower it is, then the more ripe it is. Or you can listen to me right now on the microphone here in the studio, and I'll tell you how to do the slap test when you're in the grocery store. You don't have any vines to check or anything like that. You take your palm and slap it against your forehead like this, then slap it against your chest like this, and then slap it against your stomach like this. There's a definite difference in sound between each one. The forehead is a hard sound, and that is not a ripe watermelon. Your chest gets a little bit hollow. It's getting riper and probably edible, probably pretty good by the chest mm -hmm. sound. But when it's real, I got a little nice little flabby tummy right here. And when it feels like you're slapping a flabby tummy, Dave, it is the sweetest it's ever going to get. Well, I do the tendril deal, too, in terms of ripeness. But is there any truth to the straw deal? That's what I'm trying to no, get. No, no. That's just farmer talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all I need to know. All right. Thank Dave. you, sir. One more <laughs> myth blown straight out of the water by Mr. Reeves on a radio show. Tyler in Statham, Georgia. Hey, Tyler. Morning. Hey. Good morning, Walter. How are you? Doing all right, Tyler. What you got? Good. Hey, I got a brand-new lawn. It's a brand-new sod, and when they rolled it out... Um, it didn't do such a good job. Yeah. There were gaps all in it, and I and I went and rented one of those rollers you fill up with water and uh, kind of fix it the best yeah. I could. But um, I got yellow jackets starting to burrow in between the cracks, <laughs> and there's there's holes all over the yard. I got wow. yellow jacket nest all over the place. You got any idea on how I can fix that? Yeah. Let me think what would be the easy thing to do. Many of the aerosol wasp and hornet sprays seem to have a carrier that's petroleum-based. And, of course, if you go spray something with petroleum in it on your nice new sided lawn, you're going to have all these yellow spots right where you spray because the petroleum stuff kills the grass. So, better than that, if you have some neighbor or maybe yourself has a little bag of seven or a little bag of seven powder that you can mix with water or seven dust is just is a dust by itself, and go out to the lawn at night at dusk, sort of marking your brain. There's a nest over in that corner right there. There's another nest over this corner right here. And just take a little bit. It doesn't take much at all, just a half a teaspoon or a teaspoon maybe of seven dust and just dust it right there in the hole. Take your finger and tap it, tap, tap like that. Just tap the dust into the hole. The yellow jackets don't come out when it's dark. They don't want to see you or anything. They're inside. And to type, tap the dust onto the entrance to the nest, and the next morning there'll be a hundred dead yellow jackets outside of the nest because they are very, very uh, affected by seven. Seven's a very deadly poison to yellow jackets and honeybees and wasps and all the other stinging 
hymenopterous insects. Okay, and that kind of stuff doesn't damage the lawn at all. I mean, it's Bermuda, so no, I figured it's no. pretty stout anyway. Seven, seven doesn't do any damage to the lawn at all. If you had the wettable seven that you mix with water, of course, that wouldn't damage the, the uh, sod either. It's just the aerosols that I think sometimes have the petroleum in them that I would avoid in your in your lawn. Okay, well, I will give that a shot. Well, right. thank you so much. Tyler, one more thing to remember is that yellow jackets aren't always bad. I always sort of point this out to folks who have a nest that they don't really need to kill or a hornet nest way, way up in a tree. The hornets and yellow jackets and paper wasps are all predator insects for caterpillars, for aphids, for uh, plant hoppers, for several of the smaller soft-bodied insects that you'd have in your vegetable garden. You might consider it to be a bad thing in the vegetable garden. So if you don't have to kill the yellow jackets or the hornets, don't do it. But if you have to, my my permission granted. Well, when you're mowing the grass and you got a little girl that <laughs> around, you got to kill them. This time, this time, Tyler, you made the right decision. Thank you, sir. You're it, Tyler. Thanks for calling. It's 718. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help, when I was younger, so much younger than today. I never needed anybody's help in any way. We were just talking during the break about people who send us emails, but help is exclamation part in capitalized letters and repeated about three times. And you don't always have to do that, but you do have to do it if you are a Beatle. When you have a song to sing, that is the way to say it. Help! Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, chance of thunderstorms, mostly cloudy, high of 84, low of 69. Right now it's 7, no 69, no 70, no 70. Well, it's 69 degrees right now. Partly cloudy in the afternoon. Tomorrow, stray shower possible, high of 81, low of 69. Your full weekend forecast comes within 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Lana is in Monroe, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Lana, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Lana. I'm fine. How can I help? Well, I have. I planted um, a kefir pear and uh, oriental pear last year. Okay. And of course, for the first time, they have fruit. But my kefir from the trunk has, you know, two branches coming up, and one is starting to turn black, and the leaves are dying. Hmm. And I'm I'm wondering what's going on with with my pear. Should I? Should I have cut off the pears, uh, you know, that since it's such a young tree, um, I, I don't know what's going on. So you mean turning black, the leaves are all turning black on the on that no, limb? The, yes, the branch is turning black and, and the leaves are turning turning uh, black, kind of, you know, brown, and then they're black. And, uh, dying, it would be my guess. guess. It would be my guess that there's... A disease called fire blight, which is called that because the leaves turn black, like somebody hit them with a blowtorch. Um, mm-hmm. And that is very common on pear and apple trees. That even though kefir and orient pears are hard pears, or ones that are better grown, I think, in Georgia than most any other variety, they're not immune to fire blight. And 
if you want to see some confirming pictures of fireblight, you can go online, of course, and go to my website. I have two or three pictures of pear trees there. But the cure for it is not easy, and really, really not easy, Lana, because you have to prune out all the diseased branches. And I know okay. with a young pear, you don't have a lot of undiseased branches to spare, but that is literally all you can do is to prune out the undiseased branch or prune out the diseased branches. And okay. it's a great idea to sterilize your cutters between pruning cuts. And that means take a little plastic bucket, put a, a little bit of Clorox water or alcohol or something in the water to make it a sterile solution. And then dip your cutters in, make another cut, dip your cutters in, make another cut as you prune okay. out all the black branches. Sounds good. Now, should I cut off the pears? Will, will that help? I don't think so. The pears, uh, if you've got some to enjoy, I would, I, frankly, I'd leave them on there. I'd eat those leave pears. <laughs> sure. Okay. Those are your pears. Those are your first harvest. Come on, eat the pears. Yes, yeah. This is my first first attempt. Got to have a little. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's this. enjoy the pears. Okay. Thank you so much. All have right. a wonderful day. And keep a lookout. Look on my website. I've got a lot more notes and pictures and things like that of the fire blight, but I'd be, I'd be pretty confident that's what you have. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure, Lana. Thanks for calling. Lee in Noonan, Georgia, joins us. Hey, Lee, good morning. Good morning, sir. What you got, Lee? I have a, well, it was a beautiful river birch, and I came home last night. It was split at the very base, oh, man. and this black stuff all at the bottom of the base where it's split, sir. Wow. So the, yeah. let me get this clear in my head, Lee. Do you mean the two branches at the top of the tree split all the way down to the bottom or there just simply is a split at the bottom of the trunk? At the bottom of the trunk. Ha! Huh. Can you smell that stuff when you put your nose nearby? Can you smell this, anything from the sap? Yeah, it smells horrible. <laughs> now don't Sorry, say that. But, it, uh, but I mean, I, just, I never, it was beautiful. I didn't have any indication that yeah. It was doing anything, and it, like I said, it had a storm, and it just split at the bottom. It's pretty common on mostly oak trees is where I see it most often. There's a condition called slime flux, F-L-U-X, or wet wood, some people call it, but slime flux is just my favorite word for it. And it almost always smells, and it can even have two smells. One is sort of a vinegar smell, and the other one is much more like um, beer, like alcohol, I guess. And so you have yeah, vinegar or alcohol, and that slime flux is basically just an infection that got somehow underneath the bark and is feeding off of the sap of the river birch. River birch sap is pretty sweet. It's got a lot of carbohydrates in it. And so the stuff can ferment, and as it ferments, it makes gases, and the gases push it out onto the bark of the tree, and it drips down, and Lee looks at it and says, man, what is this stinky stuff coming out of my river birch tree? And it's, I don't know if it's sad to say or it's good to say, but either way, you can't do much about it other than wash it off the trunk because the this, this oozy stuff is sort of acidic and it'll deteriorate the bark if you don't wash it off. So wash it off um, and let the tree heal it itself. The tree is trying to heal from behind the infection. They're going into the wood of the tree, the sap wood of the tree. The tree is going in there to heal it. And it'll do the best it can to heal itself without you doing anything, Lee. So, honestly, washing it off is all you have to do. All right, sir. Thank you so much. Hey, Lee. It's great talking to you. See you soon. Drive yes. safe, my friend. 
728 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. More Lawn and Garden questions and answers coming up after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 7.35. It's 70 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful and to remind you that tomorrow, my favorite day of the week, because tomorrow is the AJC Sunday edition. I get to read the paper, the summary of what's been going on. Man, oh man, they are hot on the trail of things going on in the governor's office. And not even on the governor's, on the governor's race, I should say, with... Um, well, I'll just let you read the paper. You'll find out more what they're writing about there, about the governor's race on the Republican as well as the Democratic side. And down in the state in the um, uh, city of Atlanta, more investigations have been opened up there. It is more fun than a barrel of monkeys to read. Uh, Jim Galloway and Greg Bluestein and Jim Bill Torpy and uh, Maureen Downey covers schools like crazy woman. She's great. Gracie Bond Staples. I love the stories that she writes. I, re- I really, really do enjoy reading the paper. Reading the paper. The AJC. I get it every Sunday morning. Frankly, I get it every other day of the week. It is compelling. It is complete. It is credible. It is what I enjoy most on Sunday mornings. At 7.35, we've got Tom in Lake Lanier. Hey, Tom. Morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. How you doing? So, Ashley just zoned out thinking that you have a houseboat and you have a Meyer lemon tree on a houseboat. She thinks that is the height of luxury. <laughs> well, yes, I, I do have a Meyer lemon tree and a big old uh, um, planter. Uh-huh. I've got this is this is my third season. Uh, I, you know, I've got a mail order Meyer lemon tree. Yeah, yeah. And the first two seasons, um, I, I had lemons. You know, when, when I got it in April of 2016, and uh, you know, when, when you get a, a something in mail order, there are no leaves, or, yeah, you know, sure. just roots. Sure. But it was it was rather prolific first year, um, and then last year the blossoms came out, um, and uh, each one of the blossoms turned into a lemon, and uh, you know, I had, I had about ten or fifteen, uh, and this year. Um, the blo- I had blossoms in the spring, mm-hmm, but um, absolutely no lemons are ah. are forming. Pollination is more than likely the problem, then, Tom. And we can uh, pollinate one of two ways. One is the way I recommend for tomatoes, which is pretty simple to do. You get a pencil and go out to the flower, each one of those single little white flowers on the Meyer lemon, just tap it every once in a while. Whenever the flower's open, just go tap, tap, tap lightly. Uh, and they'll shake the pollen loose inside. If you want to do a little more mechanically pollinating everything, take a Q-tip swab and go into the flower and just doodle it around a little bit in one flower and then go to another flower and doodle it around in there. And you'll transfer pollen just as efficiently as a bee or something else would. So that's what my guess is. If you've got blooms but no fruit, there's pollination problematically happening to you. Okay, and it probably will be a year before they, they start blooming again. Not right? necessarily. You know, man, I have seen those things bloom just about every month of the year. Sometimes it's really? April, sometimes it's December. So oh, as long okay. as you keep it healthy, have fertilized once in a while to make sure it uh, doesn't run out of nutrients with all the rain that comes on the, on the houseboat, right. of course, it can get nutrients started after a while. 
So make sure you mm -hmm. fertilize it, and you should get flowers sometime. Sometime. Okay. Well, good. Well, thank you very much. Ashley, I appreciate it. Wait, Tom, Ashley is signaling to me and says, tell more about the houseboat. She <laughs> wants to know more about the houseboat, Tom. Well, come on up. We'll have a party. <laughs> so how do you live on it full time, just on the weekends, or what do you do? Well, I'm there most of the time. Uh, you're not supposed to live on a houseboat, but uh -huh. uh, you're supposed to live on a lake. But um, there, are, there are several of us who are there a lot of a lot of time. And in the wintertime, when it gets down to 13 degrees, it's kind of kind of miserable yeah. but uh, and i and i have a dog i have to walk him to the parking lot which is a quarter mile walk yeah so in the winter time it's uh quite an ordeal because he's, he's a little boston terrier he, he doesn't have a lot of fur see so, Ash, uh, what would ashley's great dane look like on a houseboat oh great <laughs> we, we have a um um there's a huge dog um, what is his name? I think his name is Huge. Oh, He's just a heavy. The dog's name is Heavy. <laughs> he is probably 150 pounds. Oh, man. And one of my buddies has has, uh, has a big dog. So, yeah. So it's 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 a lot of fun. And, you know, there uh, some people like to party a little too much. They make a little mo too much noise. But outside of that, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but you can always move, Tom. Just turn on the motor and yes, motor sir. across the lake. Yes, I could. Yeah, you can. That's one good thing about having a houseboat. If you don't like your neighbors, you just move your house. Wow, wow. Well, Tom, we are jealous of your experience up there, and Ashley may join you someday if you hear a great big dog roof roof across the lake. That's <laughs> Ashley's dog. Well, come on up, Ashley. Thanks for calling, Tom. It's great talking Thanks, to you. We'll good, see. Good talk to you. Bye. See you soon. Sounds like the life of luxury to me, Ashley. Sounds like lots and lots of fun. Of course, I'm convinced. Yeah, I think Shadow would love it. Shadow would love it. He'd jump off the side of the boat anytime. And I'd be the coolest wife ever to go home and tell John, hey, we're going to get a houseboat. That would be pretty cool. I, I don't know would, what John's going to say. John might. Well, check it out. Let me know next Saturday. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ashley said he changes her address to houseboat most of the time on Lake Lanier. That's where she's living then. He ends up in Buford, and he doesn't have such a great thing going on in his landscape. Yeah, what's going on? Ed? Um, yeah. I'm, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm having trouble stopping or killing some bamboo. Oh, they don't have bamboo on houseboats, you know that. <laughs> Maybe you need to move to a houseboat. <laughs> you better not. Well, I was thinking about you or people like you, Ed, yesterday because I have a particularly noxious weed in my landscape. Not as bad as bamboo, but one that I really have a hard time controlling. And I was thinking about how with bamboo, you, I just have to be honest that it's going to be two years. It's going to take you two years to control bamboo, and you have to do what I say. If you don't do what I say, it could be three or four or five years. So okay. So the, the goal of our, of our mission for the next two years is to cut down every bit of green bamboo on your property. No leaves allowed. And that means you have to walk the property at least once a week, chop it and take a machete, take a lawnmower, take a sprayer of Roundup. It doesn't matter to me what you use. Just don't let any leaves live because they feed the roots. The roots are always growing and moving and going around, but if they can't find anything to eat from sunshine, they can't grow any further. They'll end up starving to death. If I were doing it myself, Ed, I would probably use Roundup to kill the foliage. Once the little sprouts have come up two or three inches, I'd squirt it with Roundup, or I might chop it in its hollow inside and pour just a tiny, squirt a little tiny bit into that hollow stem. 
because Roundup will move a little bit into the root system to kill the roots. It won't move very far, but a little bit, more than just chop it with a machete. And where's the bamboo coming from, Ed? It's um, between my house and the neighbor's house. So you've got to make a barrier so it doesn't continue to grow. If your neighbor's not engaged in the same control method, then their bamboo comes back to Ed's house with a vengeance, thinking we got to have revenge. Ed killed all our buddies over here, so (laughs) the bamboo comes back. you got to have a barrier then, and a barrier, the only way to keep bamboo roots from coming over is a underground barrier at least 18 probably 24 inches down in the ground and the most efficient stuff that i have seen well there's two things one is 24 inch wide aluminum flashing and it comes in long rolls that you can use for mostly flashing roofs but you buy the big box stores and you dig a trench with a ditch witch and you drop the flashing in leave a couple inches showing above ground and uh, that keeps the roots out pretty handily. Or you can buy this very thick rubberized stuff from the bamboo people over in Alabama. If you go online, just say bamboo barrier, you can find who it is. And they have much the same. They have videos of installing the stuff and making sure that you have a little bit showing above the ground. But that barrier is just as important as the other part of starving the roots to death. So two years from now, Ed, hopefully you'll call me back and say, hey, I've done it. My neighbor's, <laughs> he's eating it with it still. So, yeah, we're both we're both battling the bamboo. Yeah, we have we have tried the um, oh what what do you the roundup or is, the, the roundup? Yeah. yeah, but that does no good. It will not move into the roots very far at all. You're right. So okay, well that's. I've got a better idea of what to do now. Yeah, it'll give you a goal anyway. You know, 2020, Ed's going to be bamboo-free. That's great. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for your information. All right, good luck with it, Ed. Every time you chop some more bamboo, do it in my honor. Oh, okay, I'll think about that. All right, man, we'll see you. Okay. We've got Marlene coming to us. Marlene also has a plant she's not particularly fond of. Hey, Marlene, good morning. Good morning, Martha. How are you? So what have you got? We've got, I think it's Igniathus. I'm not sure what it is, but it's humongous. It's been growing wild for a year on <laughs> humongous the Humongous Iliagnus or some of Is us. that what it is? I don't know. And it's got yeah. stickers and it, it's yeah, just yeah, brutal. Yeah. And it goes, now it's going up our mimosa tree and a, a big oak. And it's way up high. And our neighbors say, oh, no. we're going to get out there. And they never help us. They never do anything. So I just, you know, can we chop it from our side? I mean, can he really reach it? It's, I don't know what to do. I'm so is this so a vine or a bush, Marlene? Because the Iliagnus bush is bushy, has stickers and those silvery colored leaves and little red fruit sometimes. Um, but a thing, vine it, with stickers on it might not be Iliagnus. It might be Smilax or something that is more stickery, vinery-like. And maybe, but Iliagnus. it's gigantic and it's really strong and you chop it off and yeah, you know, I mean, you just it's, yeah. Well, I think you thick, some some of the branches, and we've just been letting it grow for years, and I'm just really sick of it. And now that right. it's in those trees, what we're going to do is go out with some mechanical means. I don't care what it is, but somebody's got to chop that trunk right off at the ground. Closest to the ground you can get is better off. Right. Once you chopped it off, because its root system is not the same as vines and shrubs are not the same as bamboo. Roundup does do a good job at preventing re-sprouting. 
And so you cut it off right close to the ground, and then immediately you or your buddy or somebody pours a little bit of Roundup on the stump and sort of brushes it around with a leaf or a stick to make sure it's absorbed right into the stump where you cut. And right. the Roundup gets sucked back down into the root system, and hopefully you don't get any re-sprouting from the bad plant. And the part that's above ground is climbing up the trees and climbing up into the mimosa and all that. That'll die within a week or two or three, probably. Okay. Well, what are, what about doing it on the property line? I mean, do I have to? I mean, what? do I have a right to cut it off? The, the anything tree? that's I mean, on your property, anything that's on your property is your vine. And if it goes onto somebody else's property because the roots are on your side, it's a, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm probably not qualified to say anything. But most most lawyers and judges would say that Ely Agnes is not a good vine, not a good plant nor is Smilax, if it turns out to be Smilax, and controlling noxious weeds is generally protected by the law. Yeah, I, I, uh, we had a guy from Pikes do some landscaping, and he said it's so invasive that they can't even plant it. Yeah, you know, they don't oh, no, you never, anymore, plant, so. never plant it at all. So yeah. get ready, but chop it down and spray it with Roundup and get it, get it killed, Marlene. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Walter. It's great talking to you. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's 747 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Surprising music this morning. Jason Byers brings to us on the Lawn and Garden Show. Thank you, Jason. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Pretty much the partly cloudy today. Chance of stray showers throughout the day. High of 80. Let's see what it says here. High of 84. Low of 69. Partly cloudy tomorrow in the afternoon. Stray showers are possible. Once again, high of 81. Low of 69 overnight tomorrow. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Kay and Bishop wants to transplant some little trees and wants some advice on that. Hey, Kay, good morning. Good morning. Hi. Uh, the first, I'm wondering, is it even a good idea to try to transplant them? Should I do things like root pruning? What's the size and just all that kind of how, stuff? How baby are these little baby redbuds you want to move? Um, well, some of them, have, they've grown really quickly, but I feel <laughs> like they are probably from this year's. Like one, got, a foot tall, two feet tall? How big are they? Okay, uh, I've got one that's like probably gone up to three feet tall very quickly. Yeah. Another one is like one foot tall, but then it's, it has spread out really, really big. I mean, like a three and a half foot spread. And then there are others that are much smaller. But you know, I didn't think that it was going to be a good idea to transplant yeah. them. Yeah, at the beginning of summer. It's not great for the tree, but that small, there's a possibility of success, a reasonable probability of success, as long as you don't go on vacation and don't water them for three weeks or something like that. So that small K, if you wanted to move them now, it's worth a gamble. If you can wait until October, November, it's probably better for the tree and more successful even then. Should I do some root pruning now? I don't think it's worth it. No, I don't think it's going to be even necessary to do the root pruning. Again, because they're so small, they don't have a great big root system on them anyway. So, no, nah, I'd leave them alone. 
go get your shovel in October and dig them up then. I'll do that. Thank Man, you. Oh, you have lots of little red buds running around. That'd be so pretty. That'd be nice. You get millions of them. Yeah, right? exactly. You have one tree. Exactly. You get so many of them, and I've always pulled them up, and I thought, why don't I start transplanting a few? I was riding on, what was it, North Druid Hills at Briarcliff, I guess it was, yesterday, and a little shopping center there has so many of the rising sun red buds, the ones that I love so much that have sort of light green leaves with the yellow and orange uh, new leaves poking out through it. It was just glorious. The sun was shining through the leaves. Those red buds were so pretty there, North Druid Hills and uh, Barcliff. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Well, I don't think mine is anything like that exotic. I think mine's just a standard common red bud. Yeah, but you've got all those woods to fill up out there. Plant them, move them, whatever you want to do. Put them around there. I will. Thank you. You're right, Kay. Thanks for calling. we got Scott in Hampton, Georgia. Hey, Scott, good morning. Welcome to the Lawn and Garden. Yes, good morning, Walter. Um, I have four pecan trees. They're yep. uh, uh Volunteers, yeah, they range from like fifty foot to like twenty uh, foot tall. One of my medium sized pecan trees are loaded with little pecans. Okay, looking good, leaves looking good. The other three, at the end of the little stems where the leaflets and all are, it looks like the end has just dried up. It's just died. E scab is what that sounds it's like. Kind of like scab. I think what it's called scab. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Sure does. And that's the best thing I can find online, what it looks like. The yeah. other two has just got black spots real bad on the leaves. Scab still. And it looks like something's just eating the leaves, like worms are eating the leaves, but there's no worms or anything on it. These are pecans that just sort of came up wild, Scott. You didn't plant them, did you? No, they're all volunteer. Yeah. Last mm. year, uh, had a good crop on everything. This year, all of a sudden, three of them's got some kind of diseases yeah. all over them. And you pray for a dry spring. That's all you can do. You cannot spray anything to get up high enough in the tree to do much good for controlling the scab disease. And a drier spring will lead to very little infection. You got a nice crop of pecans, and then a wet spring like we had this year, and you got scab on everything that's susceptible to it. And one of them sounds like it. Fought it, fought it off pretty well, so you're going to get some pecans off of it. But the other three, pretty much a lost cause at this point. Okay, that's <laughs> that was about the only other thing I could find online. It was saying it was wet spring. We've had a wet year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I wish there was some systemic spray or systemic something or other you put on the ground that would go up into the leaves and protect them there, but there's just not. Down in South Georgia, they have these big blower things that blow way up in the tree. Everything's fine for them. But you don't have anything like that. I don't have anything like that. And so you just have to, like I said, wait on the dry years to have a good crop and the wet years you won't. And is it uh, wise to uh, try to spray the zinc in the trees? You know, that's one thing that pecans do need a lot of is zinc. And the easiest thing to do is probably to apply it on the ground. There's zinc um powdered uh, micronutrient fertilizers you can buy. I've seen them at uh, some of the hardware stores around. Go around in Hampton and Henry County and see if the hardware stores have that special pecan fertilizer with added zinc in it. That's the yes, easiest thing to apply. And if you ever right. plant a pecan tree, Scott, plant one that has a name. Most of the named varieties of pecan have resistance to scab. As it says yes. on the label, do your research. You'll find two or three or four that have resistance to scaling. That is what you need. Something that will resist the disease and won't give you all the problems that 
it is now on these volunteer volunteer pecans because they're sure going to be a problem forever and ever and ever. It's 7.58, almost 7.59. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. <laughs> <laughs> 